Hi there, esteemed audience, and welcome to another episode of Middle Grade Ninja. As you know, I'm your host, Rob Kent. I'm the author of Banneker Bones and the Cyborg Conspiracy, which will be available May 15th of this year. Uh, depending on when you're listening to it, it may be available right now. Certainly, it's available to pre-order. Uh, go ahead. I promise that it is worth the money. It's a wonderful conclusion to a trilogy of middle grade books um, that uh, are the most important thing I've ever written. Uh, if you haven't started uh, or haven't uh, got caught up with Banneker Bones to this point, no fear. Uh, nice thing about books is they're around for whenever you need them. And Banneker Bones and the Giant Robot Bees, the first book in the story of 11-year-old detectives that uh, fly around on jetpacks and do battle <laughs> with robots and monsters and all kinds of wonderful stuff. Uh, Banneker Bones and the Giant Robot Bees is available as a paperback, an audiobook, and narrated by the exquisite David Radke. And you're listening to this, so I assume you like listening to things. Or the ebook is free free to download whenever you're watching or listening to this wherever fine ebooks are sold uh check that out once you're hooked on the series come see me with money for banneker bones and the alligator people and then again in may for banneker bones and the cyborg conspiracy uh under the super secret pen name robert kent i've written some uh horror stories for older readers the young adult novel all together now was zombie story i tell you about them but i already took up too much time telling you about banneker uh check out chapter one of the book of david by robert kent that one is also an ebook that's free to download and if you like that there's four more uh, books where that came from a long uh, horror story in the style of stephen king about an atheist that buys a haunted house that then begins to give him religious visions involving <laughs> flying saucers it's a good time. I promise you're going to have fun. Uh, as always, for more information about what's going on with the show, what's going on with me, keep tabs at middlegradeninja.com. Uh, you can read hundreds of interviews there with uh, literary agents, editors, authors, folks you would be interested in, as well as uh, get a schedule of who's going to be appearing on the show, uh, upcoming episode dates. Uh other than that, tune in every Saturday. Make sure you like, subscribe, all that great stuff. Enough. Let's get to it. Uh, I am. I couldn't be more thrilled today. We're going to welcome Anne Bastard, who is the author of this new novel, Blue Skies, uh, and many others. Anne, how are you today? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. Well, thank you so much uh, for being here. Um, Probably the best place for us to get started uh, is I could try to summarize your biography and just make a mess of it. By the time I got to the end of it, you'd just be glaring at me. That's not who I am at all. <laughs> so if you would, give uh, esteemed audience kind of an overview of your background. Okay. So um, I was born in Hawaii, and my mother named me Anne after Anne of Green Gables. And... Um, Last year, I became a permanent resident of Canada. <laughs> um, I'm not in Prince Edward Island, but I don't live too far away. I'm on the East Coast, coast-ish in Ontario. Um, I grew up in Hawaii with a few years in California, and then I went to university in Texas and stayed there for decades until I um, came up here. Uh, I have been a teacher, um, fourth grade teacher, a reading teacher. I co-owned a children's bookstore and I was a university lecturer of um, pre-service teachers. And I love to read and I love to write. My two most favorite things to do. Well, then you've chosen a wise career. You get to do <laughs> lots of those things. <laughs> Uh, I've got so many questions for you, but uh, right away, Ontario, Canada, that's a big move. You've lived a little bit all, all over, uh, I know, but um, what uh, takes you to Ontario? And also, what's the process for anyone? I know that my wife and I have uh, occasionally mentioned it when, when, when viewing the news that maybe it's time to look into immigrating to Canada. How much work is involved to, to getting there to Canada? Well, um, I'm here because... A few years ago, almost two years ago, I married my college sweetheart, and he lived in Canada. <laughs> um, we met at the University of Texas and decided it wasn't a relationship that we wanted to continue, so we went our separate ways. Um, unfortunately, he lost his wife to cancer um, a few years ago, and he made a trip back to Texas, and a group of... Um, college friends got together and kind of went from there. 
So here I am. Um, I came um, as a spousal um, sponsored immigrant. Um, and the process took us um, from start to finish, um, maybe a year or so. Um, there's a lot of paperwork involved and um, it's quite complex, but probably for good reason. Um, but I'm thrilled to be at this point in the process um, and happy to be here. Just what I'm hearing you say is my, my wife and I need to divorce immediately and find <laughs> Canadians that we can marry and then <laughs> after a few years, maybe divorce them and remarry each other. Who knows? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> What's uh, got so many questions about your background and, and reading and writing because you've done just a, about a little bit of everything. Uh, so let's start uh, just with the fact that you've got four different degrees, one of which uh, was a Master of Fine Arts from Vermont. Yes. Uh, so what have each of those degrees and that that level of higher education contributed to your writing and specifically what what uh, how did that MFA program benefit your writing? Um, well, I love school. <laughs> So um, I just kept going back and back for more degrees because I find learning, um, you know, exciting and, um, and a thrill. So my first degree was in um, education. And um, then I did teach for five years. Um, and when I got that degree, one of the classes I taught what, um, excuse me, I uh, took was children's literature. And I was an avid reader as a child. And then high school, I dropped off reading a little bit. I was doing mostly schoolwork and related reading. But then in college, I fell in love with um, children's literature all over again. So that was, you know, one of the highlights. And then I transferred that into the classroom where I read aloud to my students, um, you know, every day. And reading was at the forefront of, you know, everything that I, um, that I taught. Um, then I decided, well, maybe I didn't want to teach forever. So um, what do I love most? Books. Um, what degree could I get? Oh, how about a master's in library and information science? <laughs> um, so um, I went through um, that program. Um, and then as I was going through it, I thought, well, maybe I don't want to be in a school setting. Maybe I'll go the public library route. Um, so that was my focus and intent um, until I got into school and realized, well, I need some money to <laughs> help me pay tuition. Um, and I got a job at um, an independent children's bookstore in town and absolutely loved it. Um, and when I graduated, the um, two owners said, well, rather than get a library job, would you be interested in working in the store full time? And I don't know where I got the idea to come up with the answer, but I said, well, um, actually, I'd like to be um, a part of the store. And if we could make that happen, you know, I'd be interested. And so we worked it out and I was with the store for like 13 wonderful years. Um, so wait, they, they offered you a full-time position and your response yes. was, I want to be an owner? Yes. <laughs> That's fantastic. You must be a savvy negotiator. No, I don't, it just came out. You know, I don't, I didn't, I wasn't dreaming of that. You know, I didn't ha ha have a secret, you know, desire, but obviously I did. It just, as soon as they said that, I went, oh, well, how about? <laughs> <laughs> I ever have another contract to negotiate, or when, when I have another contract to negotiate, <laughs> I'm going to call you and I'm going to say, Anne, how could this be 10 times better? And I know that you'll have a solution that's excellent. Well, People tell me that I look normal, but <laughs> but actually, I'm a huge risk taker. Like um, moving up to Canada, <laughs> um, yeah, doing things like um, getting involved in the bookstore. So um, so I was single, and I thought, well, bookstores um, 
aren't extraordinarily profitable. And I wasn't sure that I could do that job for the rest of my life as much as I loved it. Um, and so I thought, well, maybe if I go back to school and get another degree. You didn't want to fall back on the two that you already had. Right. No, no. Um, so I um, pursued a um, literature or literacy degree um, at the university um, with the aim of getting a PhD. And my focus was around literature, but not just solely um, children's literature. Um, and when I graduated, uh, I wasn't planning to teach, but I, th I thought about like the world around us and the bookstore, um, I would say beginning of the end of independent bookstores um, in, in, many, in many respects, um, because big box stores and the internet was starting to, um, <clears throat> to rise. And I thought, well, as much as I loved the store, um, maybe it's time to leave and to pursue, um, you know, other avenues. So, so were um, you kind of like the, what the Meg Ryan character and you've got mail and that, and that kind of a position? Uh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Only at the time I didn't have Tom Hanks. <laughs> no, he was in Canada. <laughs> that came later, years later, but that's okay. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. So, um, then, as it turned out, um, I was able to um, work as an adjunct at the university. And one of the benefits to that, aside from being in the university community, which I just loved, um, and teaching, which I love, um, I had more time to devote to writing. Um, because, as you, I'm sure, are aware, um, small businesses require a lot of um, hours. And um, the store was my life um, in many respects. And um, teaching while did consume many hours, um, I also had some more free time and extra where I could um, try and do my best to, to write. When uh, when did it occur to you that all this being surrounded by books, all this love of reading, all this love of children's literature, that will lead me to become a children's book author? When was that a formal declaration of intent? Um, I always, well, I'd say from junior high on, I wanted to write. Um, I'd never met an author. I didn't know <laughs> you could be one. I know that sounds odd, but I just didn't. Um, and I think it was in college when I took that children's literature class where I thought, oh, wait, um, this is a real person who wrote this book and told a great story or gave great information. And maybe someday I could do that. So I had the desire and the dream, but I've come to writing as a reader, not as a, you know, English major, writer, journalist. And so I really didn't have a clue as to what to do. So, um, well, here's a, here's a totally unfair question that I ask on a regular basis, an opportunity to alienate some of your professional <laughs> colleagues. Look forward to it. What are uh, some of those early books that you read and, and continue to read that inspired you and, uh, and, and made you want to be a writer? Obviously, every book is our favorite book, uh, yes. and it's a silly concept overall, because why would you pick one book when there are so many wonderful books you could be reading? Um, but if you would, just offer us some of those early titles that you read that, that had a major influence on you. Okay, so <clears throat> I would say um, an early title, well, you mean my childhood or just? Whenever in life that they spoke to you and said, okay, that's the kind of book I want to write. That's, that's the kind of, that's, that's what the ideal looks like when I achieve it. It will be similar to this type of book. Okay, so um, 
probably Judy Bloom. <laughs> um, Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing, um, I just adored. And Super Fudge, and those were books, well, Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing, um, I read to my students and, you know, saw their response. Um, and I also loved um, My Side of the Mountain, Jean Craighead George. Um, I'm not sure when, this was later, Sarah Plain and Tall, um, I just think is a classic that I adore. So I could go on, now I have, you know, newer favorites. I add favorites <laughs> every day, every week. Um, I still love to read and middle grade is my sweet spot. That's when people ask me my favorite middle grade book. I just automatically say The Witches by Roald Dahl, even though I've read other books since that I've, been, I've enjoyed. And that one's kind of problematic. But he, Dahl's dead. He's undeniably a great person. You can't argue with that. And all the different writers that I've had on the show and that I'm meeting, they, they can't get upset that I didn't mention their show, Roald Dahl's Beyond, <laughs> Beyond Reproach, or, or their book, rather. Um, so, okay. Uh, so what would you say of, of all that experience that you had? Uh, and I should also mention um, that uh, uh, an interview with uh, John Gene uh, Craighead George is available at middlegradeninja.com. Oh, yeah, I didn't know. <laughs> so head that way, esteemed audience. Uh, and an email uh, came to me, I believe, written by the Judy Bloom saying, thanks so much for your kind words and your interest. I'm afraid I don't have time at this, <laughs> at this moment. But it's still a wonderful email. I've, I've got it uh, treasured and cherished. Yeah. Um, so what would you say impacted your writing more? This is sort of a silly question because, of course, I'm sure it all did. But did you learn more teaching elementary school, reading to children and, and hearing what they liked about stories? Mm -hmm. Or did you learn more actually as a bookseller trying to appeal to, to children readers? Um, that's a really great question. And I was definitely influenced by um, my students and what I chose uh, for them and what I saw them reading. But. Um, I was in the classroom like five years and I was in, in the bookstore for 13. So I'd have to say the bookstore um, had an even more um, impact because I was exposed to many more um, books and I read even more. And I, um, our customers had, of course, a wide variety of interests. So I would learn from them as well. Um, so I was exposed to um, and had, you know, the best time reading. Plus you had a, a real monetary incentive to find out what types of books they liked and make sure you had them on the shelves, right? Right, right. Makes sense. And then, um, um, so at that point, are you, uh, keeping a, a routine for writing and, and seeking publication or, or when does that begin? Um, no, there was no routine. <laughs> um, there was a lot of hope and a lot of uh, dreaming and Both um, important. yes, definitely, definitely have to have that um, motivation. Um, my first book uh, was published in uh 1989, and I like to say it was, um, you know, a stroke of luck. It was um, an alphabet book of Texas, and I got the idea um, from going back to visit my parents in Hawaii. There was a, a, a great book out called A is for Aloha, and I thought, okay, well, if this book is selling, certainly a book called T is for Texas, you know, might sell. So um, I had a great time putting that together, um, was able to find um, a small press and, um, you know, it, it, it did well. So then um, at that time though, I was back in school and working in the store full time and I didn't have time <laughs> for, um, creative work. So that all um, got put on hold until um, I left the store about five years later. And then 
I thought, okay, it's January. I'm not at the store anymore. I'm going to write a story. So I wrote a picture book and I sent it um, to an editor and then I waited. <laughs> I waited for the call or for a letter. And, um, you know, I went on with life. I got a job at the university. I, you know, just had more free time. I enjoyed, um, you know, not having regular hours. And um, in December of that year, <laughs> I heard from <clears throat> the editor and it was, oh, thank you so much, but um, no thanks. And I went, oh, okay, well, <laughs> I guess I'm going to have to write more. I mean, I just had no clue. You let one editor say this book is dead and now on to, to more writing? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I probably worked on this story maybe a month or so. I mean, you know, I just, I was so clueless um, as to the process, as to, oh, no, Anne, if you want to write, you should write more often. <laughs> um. So I just have to laugh at myself. Uh, so um, that next... No, no, this is wonderful because all the uh, authors out there who are listening that are either doing something similar or have <laughs> done something similar can be uh, laughing. We're all <laughs> laughing with you. Nobody's laughing at you. No, it's just crazy. Um, and then through the bookstore, um, I became acquainted with um, Kathy Appelt. And I was in Austin and she lived like an hour and a half away in College Station. And she was offering a week-long um, children's writing workshop. I thought, oh, perfect. I'm going to take it. And um, that was my exposure to what a writing, what a real writer <laughs> could do. And um, it was just, it was a workshop that changed my life. Um, and I'm forever indebted to her for that, for her feedback. I, I tried a new story <laughs> and submitted it and, um, you know, have been writing on and off ever since. So Kathy Appelt, former guest, uh, go back, esteemed audience, check the archives. I don't remember what episode it was, but you can't miss it. In fact, I quote her now uh, every time I do a class. Uh, I used to do a self-deprecating joke that why would you want to write, uh, or you have to be a little bit of a megalomaniac to be a writer because why should someone read your new book when there are already so many wonderful books in the world, uh, which I thought was a nice self-deprecating uh, self self joke, have a, have a little chuckle, uh, show show humility, that, that was the plan. Uh, and she looked me dead in the eye on this very podcast and said, don't say that. Uh, there is a reader out there for every book, and that book will find the reader at just the right time. I said, well, my God, that's so much more inspirational than what I've been saying. So now I am in that, and I, I, I say Kathy Appelt's wisdom uh, every chance I get. She's incredible. So that, that must have taught you just about everything you'd ever hope to know about writing, right? Um, oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, which is why I eventually um, made my way to Vermont College of Fine Arts. Um, because um, while I did have um, another picture book published, I was trying to figure out how to write a novel. And I think I was making some progress. Um, but I just, I do best when, um, I'm in school, you know, uh, when I have that routine and have assignments and someone mentor, uh, mentoring me. So, um, while I loved and still do, um, appreciate all the critique groups I've been in over the years, um, it's not their job, my critique partner's job to teach me everything there is to know or that they know about writing. So um, I took the initiative and, and went back to school. So what, and this is a question I ask frequently because I know lots of uh, listeners are um, um, contemplating 
possibly going back to school for an MFA or they're, uh, they're young and want to be writers and they're thinking start with an MFA. But that's a huge investment of time. It's a huge investment of money. And so the question always remains, what's the trade off that MFA program? Unfortunately, it doesn't come with a guaranteed contract. Just oh, complete yeah. it. Here, here, here's your book deal. So what did that uh, time getting your MFA uh, bring to your writing? How did you evolve and how was that separate from the two degrees you already had? Was it two degrees at that point or three? Three. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and um, this, the MFA is my last degree. I'm not going to go back to school <laughs> anymore. I don't believe you, but it's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll see. But no, that it's been, it's been 10 years now. So I don't, uh, yeah, who knows though? Never say never, right? Um, if there was a habit to take back up, I could think of much worse than going back <laughs> to school as a perpetual student. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. No, 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 no. So um, I needed, you know, I knew I needed the help. And I wish that I had been able to go to back to school earlier, but life is life and it wasn't possible. And now I'm convinced that for me, I went at the perfect, you know, time after I'd had, you know, a lot of trial and error. And um, I also was at a point where I could devote um, all my time to school, though it's a, um, a part, they ask you to commit 20 hours a week um, when you're going through in order to successfully complete the, the program. Um, many people, you know, work part-time or even full-time and do the program at the same time. I had the luxury of going full-time and treating it as a full-time job school experience. Um, so for me, I, I was able to, um, you know, just totally be uh, immersed in in the process. And I loved it because it was a four semester program and each semester I had a different mentor. And um, approximately once a month, we would I would send my mentor um, my latest work 20 maybe more pages and maybe an essay dependent upon the semester. And I would get, um, you know, just fantastic feedback uh, on what was working and what I could improve on. So it was um, an accelerated process of two years for me. And I came out um, with, I think, a better... Uh, writing vocabulary and understanding of the process. And, um, you know, I had some manuscripts that I thought had potential. So this I, is, uh, after you'd already published T.S. for Texas, right? Yes, yes, was yes. Just, so you were just one time published at that point or had you already published? Um, the second I had um, uh, another, uh, I had a picture book biography, um, the Buddy, the story of Buddy Holly published. Um, but I, I couldn't crack the novels and, um, not that I'm an expert now, but I feel like I have a better sense of how to approach them. So when, uh, when did that, was, was it during the MFA program that that clicked in and you said, okay, now I understand how this works and I can do it? Um, Now I understand more how it works, and I hope I can do it. <laughs> <laughs> and I need to know, when was the moment you said, yes, I feel like a writer now. I'm a writer, because you're the one of the most qualified people to be a writer I've ever talked to. <laughs> so when did it kick in? <laughs> um, well, I definitely, I think it was definitely in school. You know, it was it was a huge confidence booster, and I had... My mentors were um, writers, authors, um, well-published, and, and they were telling me that, like, I was on the right track. So I thought, okay, well, maybe I will be able to get, um, you know, a novel published. 
And that uh, was how many novels ago? Two. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I know there's uh, another one coming early next year. No, it's uh, June. It's the picture book, right? Uh, yes, May. Yes. Uh, since I brought it up, let's let's mention it. That picture book is called and is about. Um, it's called Rad, and it's about um, a frady cat who overcomes his fear with the help of his siblings. And um, it's the fear he has is of skateboarding. Um, and I've never been on a skateboard. <laughs> Not even in preparation to write the book? No, no. <laughs> I can tell. How, how, uh, how did you go about researching uh, skateboarding in preparation? Well, I um, I have a really good friend whose son was an, a great skateboarder, is and, and was growing up a great skateboarder. So I consulted um, her and um, I also did a lot of internet research. And then, you know, I've lived around skateboarders. So, you know, over the years, I've picked up, um, you know, a little bit about the culture and about the um the way of skating. Gotcha. And Rad will be available May 5th. Mm -hmm. uh, depending on when you're listening to this, it may be available already. Go go get your copy. Uh, if your library doesn't have it, request a copy of Rad by Anne Bestard. Um, and I, I'm, I'm watching our time, and I, I know that uh, for your publicist agents, anybody that's listening, uh, I know they're watching the time and thinking, well, they, they haven't really brought up Blue Skies yet. So I have more questions about uh, learning to be a writer and about your writing habits. Uh, but, but for everybody listening, let's talk about Blue Skies, which is absolutely uh, available now and worth reading. Uh, and the thing I try never to do uh, is summarize another author's book when you're right here. I wouldn't make you sit through that when you can uh, <laughs> better pitch your book than I could. Plus, I'm bad with spoilers. So I've learned just be quiet when it comes to somebody else's book uh, until I find out what you're comfortable sharing. Uh, so what, what do we need to know about Blue Skies? Okay, so um, Blue Skies is a story about uh, Glory B. Bennett. And she um, lost her father on D-Day on Omaha Beach. But she still believes that a miracle might happen and he could um, return to her and her town of Gladiola, Texas. So when the Mercy train boxcar, which I can explain a little bit, um, is scheduled to make an unexpected stop in her town, she knows that's the sign. This is the time when um, daddy's going to come home. So, yeah, tell us a little bit about the uh, Mercy box, box card. Um, so um, it was a grassroots effort, which I was unfamiliar with until about 20 years ago, um, started by um, a Frenchman. Uh, a French war veteran named Andre Picard, and he wanted to fill a boxcar of gifts from the French to send over to America to um, thank us for all we did before, um, after, and during World War II. Um, but instead of one boxcar, the French citizens filled 49, and they shipped them over to um, the East Coast, and then railroads all across the states um, sent them on the rails to each one to um, the state's capital. And then they were put in museums, or some were, a few were a few gifts, I understand, were distributed, but um, yeah, I fell in love with that um, that effort, and that was the, actually the spark for uh, the story. And, um, it's a it's a sad ish premise because mm -hmm. you know 
Lori B's father's died. She's waiting for the body to come to, you know, so they can have closure. And yet it's not an overly sad story, despite the premise there. There are laughs throughout. You're going to have a good time as team audience, I promise. Uh, so what is um, what tips do you have for uh, writers who have a somewhat sad premise, uh, which one might argue is as uh, humanity's lot. <laughs> um, when you have a bit of a sad premise, especially for middle grade readers, what tips do you have for not undercutting that, but keeping the tone and the story light, keeping the pace fast uh, and, and not bumming the audience out for 200 pages, but <laughs> telling a, a story despite the sad premise? Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> well, I think uh, one of the strengths of middle grade is that um, middle grade novels offer hope. And I think that's what needs to um, run throughout the, the story. Um, and yes, there are um, sad events. There is sadness in the world, but there can also be um, light. And light can come from... Um, a sad time. And who, uh, aside from everyone listening, who is the ideal reader for the for Blue Skies? Um, well, I think it's someone who is a dreamer, um, someone who does um, want or seek hope, um, someone who um is passionate someone who um wants a heartwarming story and someone who is interested in um authenticity and I'm uh, chuckling because I'm, I'm just remembering that the, the very first line uh, of your book, if I may read part of your own sure. book to you, uh, Miracles Happen in Gladiola, Texas, population 3,421. Uh, and then she goes on to say, I want a miracle of my very own. So now that I'm hearing you talk about this is a story about hope. Well, there it is. My God, we've got a, a thesis statement <laughs> <laughs> right there at the start. You set the tone. Here comes the hope. <laughs> so I think that uh, goes a long way right there to letting me know how you're going to keep this story um, heartwarming and, and, and engaging and not, uh, and, and not overly sad. Um, fantastic. <laughs> well, another question I, I had for you is I had uh, read that uh, originally this had started off as a picture book. Is that right? <laughs> It did. <laughs> evolved into a middle grade book. And what was the process of, of expanding the story? Um, okay, so when I first learned about the Mercy train, I was just, also, it's also called sometimes the gratitude train or the thank you train. I was just, you know, captivated by the story. And I thought, oh, there, this could be a book. There could be a book in this story. Um, and at the time, I was working on picture books. This, by the way, was almost 20 years ago. So I thought, okay, I'll write a story and it, um, about the train. And I had two characters, um, a French girl and American um, girl. And I polished it with my critique group to the best of my ability. Um, it was sent out to some editors. Um, there were a number of no's and there was one editor, um, who said, I think there might be something here, but perhaps instead of a picture book, um, you could write it as a middle grade novel. And I went, oh, what a brilliant idea. I'll do that someday, you know, I didn't have a clue, um, but I, that, that idea resonated um, with me. So um, I tucked it away and one of my motivations for going to Vermont 
was to try and get a draft of that novel um, done when I was in the program. And I was able to accomplish that. Um, and now I can't remember the rest of your question. <laughs> like, do you want, you want the, you want the, me to follow up what happened next? I feel like I'm talking on. Yeah, no, no, no. This is great. Yeah. We're seeing absolute evolution. You've gone from one editor says no, and then we're done to multiple editors say no, but we're going to continue to <laughs> evolve. And by God, blue skies is going to be in the world. This is a story of hope. I like it. Um, so yes, when uh, from the MFA program, then what's the, what's the process of public publishing? Then what happened? Okay, all right. So um, yes, so I completed um, what I now know is a solid draft <laughs> in my um, MFA program. I of course thought it was finished and like oh, let's send it out and surely someone would want to um, to publish it. Um, but um, send it out, I did, <laughs> to um, a few agents, and I got no's. So um, I put it away for basically seven years, and I worked on something else, um, which turned into um, my first novel, Anywhere But Paradise. Um, and then after that was published, I thought, okay, um, now what am I going to work on? And I puttered around with two other um, novels, novel-like ideas, and was basically getting nowhere. Um, I was pretty discouraged and thought, okay, well, it's great that I've had one novel published, but I'm not sure I'm going to have two. Um, so I had a serious sit down talk with myself and said, all right, well, if you could have one more book published or even like written to my satisfaction, um, you know, what would it be? And as soon as I asked that question, um, so the answer was instant and that was, oh, it's the Mercy train story. That's the one that, um, I have a really deep connection to. Um, that's the one more than any other manuscript that I have in the drawer or that I'm even thinking about writing. Um, I want to, uh, I want to try. So, um, the great thing about a manuscript that's been sitting in a drawer a really long time is when you take it out, you know pretty quickly <laughs> whether it's a go or not. And um, I reread it and thought, oh, well, um, no, it's not ready uh, to be sent out, but I can see um, that it needs some help. And I can see some things that I could actually do to, I think, make it better. So I was thrilled. And then I jumped in to revise um, my critique group again, helping um, my agent helping. And then it found um, a fabulous home. If it's not too personal a question, I, I never know what is. Um, what types of things were you finding after seven years that uh, now more advanced, um, more seasoned author Ann Bastard comes back to earlier Ann's work and says, I, let me help you out. I, I see what you were going for. What, what, what uh -huh. types of things were you finding uh -huh. uh, to help the book out and evolve it? Uh -huh. Well, I did find that um, I needed to expand more on some of the storylines. Um I found that in an opposite way, I needed to consolidate some characters. Um, I had too many that were doing um, the same thing in the story. Um, and then I just needed to like, I'm not really sure how to even say this, like take it up a notch in, in the writing. Um, you know, make sure that every scene um, showed 
as many of the five sentences as possible and um, that the writing was as tight as possible. So it, in my case, in that instance, um, I was pretty happy with the plot per se, but um, all of the connective tissue needed to be um, reevaluated. And I had to not be afraid to, to, you know, take things out, rearrange and put things back together. So how, what, what does your typical revision process look like? I'm sure it's had seven years for every novel. <laughs> um, I do a lot of journaling in order to discover more about um, my characters and what they want, what they desire. Um, I find that while I create the novels on the computer, um, my brain does something different when I have a journal and a pen in front of me. So often that's when I make some really um, nice discoveries um, that I didn't, I didn't know before. Um, I um, have a book recommendation um, and that is, I have it here so I wouldn't mangle the title. It's called um, Writing the Breakout Novel Workbook by Donald Moss. And he has um, literally hundreds of questions in that workbook to stimulate um, a writer's thinking about the story. And I found that to be an invaluable tool um, for me. So um, you could say, I. I went back to school. <laughs> um, <laughs> right? <tracks>. Sure. <laughs> there's a there's a theme here. I went back to school um, through that um, through that workbook to help me discover and uncover um, things that either I didn't know before or things that I need to um, to revise. So you're literally creating uh, assignments for yourself for, for yes. a class that you're, you're both teaching and enrolled in. So yes. are you taking questions from Donald Moss's book and putting those in the journal and then just addressing them there? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. To see what happens. That is outstanding advice. Yeah. Uh, I think that uh, anybody that, that that's listening that's got a novel that's not quite where it needs to be can follow that and uh, hopefully flush something out. Uh, another question I wanted to ask you about is because you're taking this uh, from uh, originally a, a paperback and, and, and expanding out to a middle grade, there is, it's a historical novel, there is, has to be a lot of research that went into this. Um, so how much time were you spending researching things like the time period, the location, the mercy train? I know I, uh, PTSD had to come in at some point, you had to do mm -hmm. research for that. Mm -hmm. Um, well, I did do some research initially when I first discovered um, about the train. Um, and then I just jumped into, um, you know, the story. And then when I knew I wanted to um, try it as a novel, I went back and did a little more research. Um, and then I did it on kind of an as-need basis until we had that seven year gap. <laughs> um, and yes, I had notes still, but I thought, you know what? I'm starting fresh. I, I wanna research all over again. So I, I traced um, everything I'd done um, before. Um, what, I, what I found um, at the University of Texas at Austin campus, um, is the LBJ Library and Museum. And what I didn't realize when I first started um, writing this book or picture book um, is that in that library are the Drew Pearson papers. And Drew Pearson was a um, radio commentator and columnist who was the American link for the Mercy train. 
and he and um, President Johnson uh, were friends, so he donated a significant number of his papers to the library. So at that library, I was able to read train schedules, um, telegrams, memos, newspaper articles, and more about um, the train. And it was just, it was just, a, it is a phenomenal um, resource, but that wasn't my only one. I went to other libraries and um, I even went to uh, the Austin Steam Train Association which is now located in Cedar Park, <laughs> which is a town just outside of Austin. And they have um, a refurbished Texas Eagle boxcar there, which um, the character Glory B spends about a minute on. Um, but I went there so I could get the interior of the boxcar, you know, just right. I love research. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> it's so much fun. Um, there's so many like wonderful discoveries. You're, you're all about the glory of knowledge. This is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the, 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 the devil's advocate question, because I know the answer, but I, I still like to ask the question. Uh, and that is when you're doing that, when you're getting the interior of the train exact, uh, when you, you're looking through the, the train schedules, the only way that I, the reader, am going to know that that train schedule is not correct uh, is if I go and I check the train schedules. Ah, ha, 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 Miss Bastard, you, I, I've got you here. <laughs> so is, is, it, uh, is it that much of a concern to have done that, or is it just the fact that you know the time, the time schedule wasn't correct? Um. Well, I t actually, I tried to be as correct as I possibly could be <laughs> with the train schedule, um, just because I, I'm all about details um, in, in life and in, um, in writing. So um, I, I did the best job that I could. I'm not saying I got everything right or that it's perfect, but I did the best job I could in order to find... Um, you know, the details I needed to make the story as real as, as possible. Um, there is no Gladiola, Texas, <laughs> um, but um, I based it on um, the main street anyway, on a small town um, outside of Austin called Smithville. And in my mind, Gladiola is somewhere around Round Rock or Taylor, which is north northeast of austin so i did i have to i feel like i have to know these things and um for my own sanity and benefit and hopefully that seeps in um to the stories so that readers feel like oh this could have actually happened and so a couple of couple more questions uh, about Blue Sky, and then I suppose maybe we should think about calling it a, a, a show pretty soon here. Uh, but I wanted to make sure I ask you um, uh, about the names in the book. I love that name, Glory Be, fantastic. Mm -hmm. uh, and I had read that you'd gone through a few different names and that names tend to cause you some trouble um, and that you're, you're, you're frequently changing them throughout your drafts. So what is your process for picking a character name and when do you know that you've got a good one? Mm. Um, yes, that's tricky <laughs> for me. Um, sometimes it's instantaneous. Like I know from the first draft what the character's name is. And all I can say is it, it just feels right. It comes to me. That's it. And then there are other times like um, in Glory B's case <laughs> where the name changed um, like with every kind of final draft. Um, so my, when I'm struggling with a name, um, I, again, go to the pen and paper and just, you know, make lists of names. Um, sometimes I'll look up um, years and popular names. Um, sometimes I'll think about um, people that um, have been in my past or or in my current life of names, well, would, would they work? Are they like this character? Um, I mean, I'm kind of all over the map with that. 
Um, but I have to say, in terms of making a final decision, um, it's totally intuitive. <laughs> it just has to feel right to me, which when, is probably when not helpful at all. Is there something that, that like goes off like spidey sense in your head? Yeah. When, uh, yeah it's just like I know. <laughs> that, that's the name. That's the person. That's the name. That's it. <laughs> And then I wanted to ask you, what was it about you? Because you said that uh, of all the books you, you could write, if there was one that you had to bring into the world, Blue Skies is the one. Uh, without getting into to spoiler territory, what is it specifically about this book that made this the book you had to tell the world? Okay. Um, I have a really strong connection to um, World War II, and that's because of my father. Um, when he was a young man um, in Honolulu on December 7th, 1941, um, some planes flew over his house um, and he saw the destruction of um, Pearl Harbor firsthand. The next day he joined the Army Air Force and um, flew missions on, flew a mission and others on um, D-Day. So while he didn't talk much about the war, um, his experience in the war growing up, um, because I grew up in Hawaii, we had lots of visitors come and family, and we'd always drive them um, around the island, and he was a great like tour guide. So I heard um, story after story about what happened on December 7th. We would go to the Arizona Memorial um, museum in Pearl Harbor, where um, many soldiers still lie under the water. Um, and I was just moved by um, the stories, you know, every single time. Um, and like Glory B, um, I'm a daddy's girl. So this story... Um, I, I feel particularly connected to. Um, he died um, like 15 years or so ago. And, you know, I miss him every day. What I didn't realize until I was on the last drafts was that this is really a love letter to him. Which... Well received and uh, out into the world to tell both uh, part of his story and your story forever. It, it yes. exists. You've, you've done it. That must be tremendously gratifying to have reached this stage after so what, 20 years uh, mm -hmm. of trying to get this story out into the world. Uh, so a natural follow up I have to that. And I, I ask this as someone uh, who is approaching the publication of probably not the last ever Banneker Bone story, but definitely the last for a good long while. And I'm, I'm, I'm constantly asking myself, okay, well, I have stories in various stages of completion, but mm -hmm. that was the story I had to share with the world. Mm -hmm. So what's going to keep me going now that I've told that story? And what's going to keep you going? What, what, what comes next uh, after it? Of course, I'm, I'm talking to you as you're uh, launching uh, yep. publicity <laughs> and all the things that you, you have to do yet with Blue Skies. Um, but what, uh, what, what, what's next for you? What's, uh, what, yeah. Um, well, I have an idea. <laughs> I have, I have some words down. Um, and what I can say is that, um, it's prompted by a real, um, event, um, that happened in Texas. That's all I can say. <laughs> <laughs> you better not say any more. So there's so many Texas authors, though. Yeah. <laughs> Kathy Appel's probably listening. She, <laughs> she might be looking for a great idea. Let's. Uh... <laughs> no, Kathy would never do that, of course. No. Um, here's a kind of a lazy question uh, that uh, I, I I try to structure the show as if I were going to be on a show. Uh, and I'm available. Get in touch, uh, fellow podcasters. I'd, I'd be happy to come on the show. Um, but um, if I were going to be on a show, what would I want someone to ask me about my book? And I would like to have just a, a blank question that I can fill in however I like. And that question is, if there, what's a question you wish someone had asked you about this book? And how would you like to answer it? Um. I think I was hoping you were going to ask me that last question. I think that was it. Um, about 
my connection, my personal connection to the story, um, because I wanted to say something that would honor my father. Oh, excellent. We, we've so got thank it. you. Yes. <laughs> well, then my next question is, Anne Bessard, have you ever seen a flying saucer? Uh, and do you believe in them? I have never seen one. And I so want to believe in them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to send you links to uh, Richard Dolan's history of uh, was the national security state and the history of flying sauce or UFOs. I can't remember the title. Look up Richard <laughs> Dolan. We'll send you down a whole new rabbit hole with all the uh, facts and information you could ever want to research. I'll, I'll uh, talk to you uh, next time you, you've got a new book out and we'll, we'll, we'll go for rounds after rounds of <laughs> flying saucer stories. Um, well, a couple of uh, questions that I wanted to ask you about, and we'll, like I say, we'll, we'll call it, a, we're about at an hour. Um, so is this a comfortable spot for us yep. to think about, Colin? I think day? so, yeah. Uh, you mentioned your book about Buddy Holly, uh, mm -hmm. and I wanted to make sure I ask you, and, you, and I know that, uh, what's the, oh, I, what was the previous book that has a character named Peggy Sue? Uh, so I assume oh, yes. uh, that, you, that that maybe is a reference to, to Buddy yes. Holly? Yes, yes. What is your uh, relationship to Buddy Holly, and why did you want to write a picture book about him? Um, well, I was an, uh, a Beatles fan growing up. They were my musicians. Um, and then I, I had heard some of Buddy Holly's music, but I didn't realize that the Beatles actually chose their name um, because of the crickets. Um, so I... I uh, happened to be have a, a job in that took me to Lubbock um, like every month for a year. And I started nosing around up there um, after hours and uh, visited all of the Buddy Holly related sites that um, I could find. And I and at that point, I was writing, I was trying to write picture books, I was trying easy readers, um, I was just all over the map with my writing, and I thought, oh, you know, it might be kind of cool to try a um, picture book biography. Who, who might I write about? And it was like, oh, I know, Buddy Holly. I know a little bit about him. I'd like to know more. Um, I love his music, and um, though he has a tragic end, um, he has a very hopeful story. <laughs> What's uh, here? Here's a question to divide our uh, our audience. What's your favorite Buddy Holly song? Um, well, I think it's got to be Peggy Sue. <laughs> I mean, you'd be crazy to pick anything else, right? <laughs> <laughs> Well, there's uh, so many things that, that I could ask you, and I won't. I'm going to restrain myself. But there was something you said that I think is maybe a good note for us to end on, I hope. Um, because you, and I'm going to get this exact because I'm going to quote you, because you've written elsewhere that in spite of my never, never, never give up stance, those dare I think I may quit moments came twice. Both times, my next efforts resulted in publication. Uh, so as, as much as you're comfortable, obviously, I'm talking to you now. I'm holding Blue Skies in my hand. Mm -hmm. Rad's going to be available uh, to live on bookshelves forever. Uh, so we know how the story ends. It's a happy ending. Mm -hmm. uh, but during those times where you were thinking of quitting, what brought you back? Um, I think what brought me back was the... I don't want to quit while I'm down. <laughs> um, that if I tried, you know, one more time and it didn't work, well, okay. I gave it, you know, absolutely 100% and more. But to stop when I was discouraged just didn't, for me, ring true. You know, I, I just had to try one more time. And if there was, aside from that, if there was anything you could go back and tell yourself at the start of your writing journey that would maybe have made that journey easier for you and mm -hmm. that authors listening to could maybe benefit from, from implementing, what would you go back and what, what advice would you give a younger version of yourself? Um, I would say breathe. <laughs> That's really important. <laughs> <It's essential. laughs> you know, and, and, and know that, um, you know, it's a journey. You now, I 
obviously from what I said a while ago about, well, I wrote the story, I sent it to an editor, and then I just sat around and waited because I thought, oh, well, she's going to love it. She'll buy it, and then we'll go on from there. No, um, I mean, maybe that's happened to someone. That would be awesome if it had or will. Um, Not to someone. I've been there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but no, it's it's um, not only is writing a book a journey and a process, but the writing life is that, you know, as well. And there are going to be ups and downs and highs and lows and everything in between. And um, yeah, just keep going. And um, and I would say keep dreaming. I think we're going to find a better place to end than that. And this has been an absolute privilege and a pleasure. I so appreciate your, your making time today. Where can the esteemed audience find you online, find more information about your books and all that good stuff? Great. Well, um, it's annbustard.com online or on Twitter at annbustard. Um, and I'm on Pinterest now. And I have um, some great resources for teachers for all of my books. So I'm would love people to drop by and visit me there too. Uh, and as always, esteemed audience, check me out at middlegradeninja.com. Download your free copy of Banneker Bones and the Giant Robot Bees. Uh, all that good stuff. And make sure you're here next Saturday when my guests will be. I don't know, but you can find out at middlegradeninja.com. <laughs> It'll be fantastic. Um, and I always ask our guests to sign us off with a, a totally ninja-like justifies the name of the show sign-off phrase. Uh, and that sign-off phrase is hi-ya and what have you. Will you sign us off? Hiya, and what have you? <laughs>